0: This is Imani of Modern Mystic Chronicles podcast, inspiring curiosity and magic through storytelling of modern mystic living. With our first story for today's episode, written by Symbiote Hall, titled Ancestors in the Mirror. I know this is going to sound woo-woo, but I've always known there are children waiting to come in through me. Also, since I am the product of parents who use two forms of birth control to prevent pregnancy, I've always been aware that when babies want in, they get in. So, I have been extremely selective with my male partners and my birth control because I want to get it just right. Then something happened a few years ago that made me realize I wasn't the only one who wanted a say regarding my future children. I had been dating this guy who for the purposes of this story we'll call Sam, which stands for socially awkward musician. Anyway, Sam and I had been going out for a few months and we just had the commitment, future plans, baby conversation, and it was all about to happen meaning we were going to finally consummate the relationship and possibly procreate as well. Things were progressing nicely. We had excellent chemistry. Then as we were rolling around the bed, I caught a glimpse of people in the mirror. It wasn't so much that I could make out individual faces, but it felt like it was a tribe. And I just knew instinctively that these were my ancestors and they were not pleased. I should also mention that my father is Nigerian, and although I was raised in America, I've always been proud of my Nigerian heritage. However, I'd never felt such a visceral connection with the ancestors. The overall energy emanating from them was, no, not that white boy. Mind you, I'm an equal opportunity dater, and I'd never had an intergenerational and time-dimensional intervention, so I really didn't think it was just because he was white. Also, I should mention that no substances were involved. I wasn't even tipsy. I'd never had a vision or anything even close to this before, and I simply didn't know what to make of it. But I knew that I needed to heed what felt like a warning, even though it didn't make sense and I didn't know what to tell Sam. So the evening ended without a happy ending for him. And then a couple weeks later, we were at his place. By then, I decided that I imagined the whole ancestors in the mirror, even though I knew I hadn't, and things started heating up again. Then who do you think I saw in his mirror? His ancestors. I say that because they did not look like they were of African descent. There were only two of them. This time the faces were more visible, and energetically they were much ruder than my people had been. And so, of course, I began to wonder if I was crazy. I hadn't told anyone about the first mirror experience, and I couldn't imagine telling Sam or anyone else about the slut-shaming from beyond I'd just experienced in his bathroom at the hands of people who were giving off angry American Gothic vibes. Cut to the whole romance fizzled out. A couple years later, we ran into each other, and then we decided to meet up for a coffee. The whole experience had really bothered me, and by then I'd heard a few other stories from people I trusted and knew were sane that let me know that my experience was not as outlandish as I originally thought. Also, by then, I didn't care if Sam thought I was nuts, but mostly I was compelled to let him know that he was lovely and he hadn't done anything wrong. So we sat at Jones on third in studio city drinking coffee and eating super yummy and totally overpriced snacks. And I shared with him about the ancestors in the mirror. He listened to me and then he said, I should have known it was something like that. They have ruined every good thing in my life. He then proceeded to tell me horrible things about his grandparents before announcing that he was going to talk to some people about taking care of it. I was floored, also, who does one call to take care of these things? Ghostbusters? Mirrorbusters? Even though by then I knew what I had experienced was real, it still wasn't something I went around sharing. But to have it fully validated by Sam's response and with information as to his family's history that would explain why my ancestors felt called to intercede was simply astounding. This experience proved to me that our ancestors are always with us. On a tangible, genetic level, we are all of who came before us. We are also the link to those that will come after us. Therefore, where else would our people be but with us? Of course they'd want to protect us, because we are the results of everything they've overcome and survived. If we perish, so do they. As part of my daily Buddhist practice, we include a prayer for all of our family, friends, fellow members, and all those who have passed away, we always acknowledge and give thanks to the protective functions in the universe, which we ourselves strengthen through our Buddhist practice. The Shoten Zenjin or protective functions, aren't seen as outside forces or deities. Instead, it's through the power of our practice that we ourselves are able to make everyone and everything in the universe function as our ally. So in this case, these mirrors reflected back information that I needed to know. I still feel awkward sharing this story, but I'm also so appreciative that it happened since it's provided me with actual proof that even when it's unseen or unknown, I am always being supported and protected, whether it's through the genes or epigenetics that have been passed on in order to ensure my survival or through that quiet knowing that is intuition Or the flashy appearance of people in the mirror. Symbiatt Hall is a filmmaker who primarily lives and works in L.A. Last year, she co-wrote and produced the star-studded variety special Make It Work for women in film and produced the politically-driven talk show The Carlos Watson Show for Aussie Media. Currently, Symbi is developing a slate of projects with film veterans Cheryl Boone Isaacs and Ruben Cannon. And recently completed the adaptation of the B.B. Moore Campbell novel Singing in the Comeback Choir, which Mr. Cannon is producing. Symbi is an alum of NYU's Tisch School of the Arts, AFI, and is a member of the WGA West. So our tarot card pull for today's story is The Six of Swords. Which is hilarious because I feel like Symbiote's ancestors still coming through and saying no, he was not the one is so apparent in the Six of Swords. They're fully invested in Symbiote's story because as Symbiote mentioned, it's a part of their story too. And so the ancestors in the mirror was their way of making themselves known. And the Six of Swords is Symbi walking away from something that even if it could have been, the ancestors definitely didn't want it to be. And also, what I find so magical about the story is that Sam agreed, that the ancestors intervened, which just confirms their presence so much more. Um, And Sam, ultimately, he made way for the right one to come in. Today's story is sponsored by Mystic Mondays Tarot Deck and can be purchased at mysticmondays.com, Amazon, and Barnes & Noble. Stay with us as we bring you another story for today. This is Imani of Modern Mystic Chronicles podcast, inspiring curiosity and magic through storytelling of modern mystic living, with our second story for today's episode, written by me, Imani Quinn, titled, If It Wasn't Love. Convincing is the death of anything, As soon as you're trying to explain why it is, the essence of its being is brought into question and therefore its ability to be a reality has fallen. You know when you catch someone's eye and you see it as it's happening, a light smirk is made in the corner of your lip? But if you said to the person, were you just looking at me and smirking? It takes away the unspoken magic of it just being. I have a love story. It was a whirlwind of feeling so connected to someone detached from the body, like an out of body experience. What does that even mean? Hell if I know, or just maybe I do know a lot. (laughs) He asked me to tie after a hang. This was a bit unusual for our awkward friendship, usually made up of intentional hangouts, discussing business or sharing our creative work or speaking on the esoterics of life. Going to get food was the most mundane thing, but a true aspect of the human experience. We approached the door, and a young woman, very thin in stature, pretty long hair down her back, walked in behind us. My eyes instantly darted to him. I knew she was his type. I sank in insecurity to know that my bone structure and demeanor was not of the carefree spirit that this young woman had, that even though he never said it, I knew I wasn't his type. As I was ordering, he mentioned that he was paying, suggesting lunch and offering to pay for our takeout. These were not common in our dynamic, but I obliged because, hey, if a man wants to buy me lunch and I'm sweet on him, that is a double win. We waited outside for the food in silence for a moment. He was clearly pondering a deep thought, and he says to me, you wouldn't date a a guy without money, would you? I knew what he was getting at here. That I wouldn't date him. I laughed inside, thinking about how I was so insecure about this girl who walked into the restaurant behind us, and he was insecure knowing I usually dated men that had a successful career and could take care of me, even if I refused, out of independent woman syndrome. I explained to him, the money doesn't matter. If the guy is working towards something and is driven, his character is what matters." But I could tell he wasn't convinced. We were both insecure. We weren't each other's type. And I think that's why I loved it. Because we weren't. But I loved him anyway, against the odds. Doesn't that ensure love that can stand on anything when it doesn't even make sense? A season passed and it went from being the touch of summer, flowers blooming, to fire season, scorching hot summer. We were finishing up a scene, and between the late summer heat and the anger boiling in my blood, I couldn't contain my outburst. I stormed up the steps to my bedroom, a full-on adult tantrum. I was running from myself, my own emotions, something I do well. But I knew I couldn't run far enough. As soon as I turned the corner into the bedroom, I could feel the waterworks coming, and I could feel his silent steps behind me. As soon as I entered the room, I collapsed onto the floor and started wailing the deepest cry I had felt in a long time. He sat with me, so silent, as though he knew right when I would collapse. It was the most intimate moment that I had ever felt so seen without any words. I held his grandmother's necklace in my hands that he gifted me, clenching to the rose quartz in hopes to ease the tears burrowing in my chest. I asked, Why did you give me this necklace? He replied, Some girls will come and go, but you'll be here forever. This moment led to a finale event of the summer. He finally professed a desire to see our story through, to unveil and acknowledge the untold parts of where we fit in each other's lives as romantic partners. But it was rehearsed as if it was something I wanted to hear. We'll get married, we'll work together, we'll have babies. It was a profession that spoke something and took the magic away of it just being. You see, he really professed when he didn't even realize he was professing. The unspoken magic acted with love. The scorch of summer had passed and we were in the airiness of fall. I was posed with my childhood best friend and soul sister. He was taking the photo. He said to me, You smile with your tongue on the roof of your mouth. I was flabbergasted. I mean, I knew this to be true, but it wasn't even really something I had acknowledged in myself. How did he know that? And how could he see through my teeth into my mouth where my tongue was discreetly placed on the roof of it? He said, I've been studying your photos for months. He expressed it so nonchalantly, like this was common knowledge, not to be surprised. I didn't say anything because that would ruin the magic. Of how much love for someone it takes to care enough to know a secret that hasn't been shared with the rest of the world to go searching for the parts of me that are hidden to the outside. Or when he was walking with my soul sister and I was up ahead of them and he told her, what will it take for her to know that I will be there until the day she dies? And my soul sister said, I don't know, what will it take? And he said, she probably won't know until she's there at her death. My soul sister relayed the story, but he never said it to my face, the magic of the unspoken. If it wasn't love, what is love? But the promise to see someone until they die, ageless love, when your boobs sag, when it doesn't matter who you are or what you do. So why does it break my heart into a million deaths and I am still living? Because it is unspoken? Because it is love? Unrequited love is not my specialty, so I asked him to leave my life many times. There was the time I was in Mexico City, I had sworn myself of his name, that I was moving on. He was in a relationship with someone else anyway, so it made sense. And I like to make sense, but my friends who I was staying with, well, she had a keychain tagged by her door. And upon promising myself that I was over it, I looked at the keychain and it had his name on it. What are the chances that the name of the keychain brand and his name were the same? Is that the same chance that when I professed I was moving on before I went to a friend's house and his name was one of the characters in the movie we were watching? Or when I was at DSW and walked into the female shoe section, the first pair of heels I spotted, their name on the shoe, his name. Unspoken, but he is everywhere, even places he shouldn't be, like in my heart and on a female shoebox. My last message to him, I said I needed space and time that this next chapter was for me, and he obliged respectfully. He said, call me if you need me. I'll see you in space. I had three dreams of him for three consecutive nights right after that. He wasn't kidding, and apparently he took my space and time as literal to show up in space, in my dreams, telling me the name of his twins, or telling me that he'd still be here until the end. I've been in love before. I've had great sex. I've been with the guy I'm supposed to be with that's my type. I've been with the girl I wasn't supposed to be with because we weren't right for each other. But I've never felt love more than with him. A love you can't grasp, touch, or conceptualize. You can only feel it. Its depth is captivating. Its ability to break through all barriers is magic. He once asked me how I could love someone I hadn't been romantic with. Oh, well, that is the most wild love of all. If it's even love. Can it be called something if it can't even be grasped? But it's always there, and will be there until I die? I came into this world writing songs like Killing Me Softly. My mom told me I wrote sad love songs as if I knew anything about heartbreak. As though I came into this world heartbroken like a sad blues singer. Sometimes I wonder if the feeling of a love I can't quite grasp is exactly what I manifested. A direct reflection of what I wanted to create. If it wasn't love, it was the most magical curiosity of its kind, beyond my own conception, made of the universe, a masterpiece of its own body. It took me on many abenders, but playing alone is never fun, if it wasn't love. Our tarot card pull for today's story is the Five of Pentacles. This card speaks to lack mentality, more than the loss itself, which brings me back to this idea of manifesting heartbreak for what it has to teach us. In the card, two people feel loss, which is appropriate to the story as well. But the loss itself isn't permanent, and I think as the story foretells, I kind of know that. But sometimes, the loss is the most important shift in the story and acceptance of what is. To break the mentality of lack and attracting of lack through that belief system, that one isn't worthy of more. Fully opening myself up to the heartbreak is what allowed me to bring my heart back to myself and in its wholeness, to not be afraid to ask for more than what is being given. Today's story is sponsored by Mystic Mondays Tarot Deck and can be purchased at mysticmondays.com. Amazon, and Barnes & Noble. That's it for today. If you enjoyed our guest story, you can catch us fireside with the author on IG Live at Imani Rachel Quinn on Instagram. And if you feel inspired to share your own mystical story, you can share with us on our website at ImaniQuinn.com at the submission link under Modern Mystic Chronicles Podcast. Big love, Imani.